0: Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast with your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. You'll hear authentic, entertaining stories with tips, lessons, and wisdom from champions to inspire, motivate, and educate you. You'll get the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo Podcast. I am just in from Austin, Texas, where we went to watch the Women's NCAA Swimming Championships. Oh, swimming and diving championships. Diving was so exciting, too. It was uh, the world's fastest swim meet, in my opinion, and the best diving. I even got to meet Katie Ledecky and Simone Manuel. I also got in some great interviews with champions that were there attending the meet that we are going to have on future podcasts. So... As always, I am co-hosting uh, with Maria Parker. Hey, Maria, how are you today?
2: I am doing terrific today. I'm also just back from Texas. Kelly and I didn't see each other when we were in Texas, but I was doing a bicycle race near San Antonio, Texas. So I'm, I'm glad to be home from that, though it was a beautiful and amazing experience.
1: More, more, More on that later, maybe. Okay, great. Great, Maria. Um, I am I am really so excited. We are going to talk about getting grit today, and we will be interviewing Caroline Adams Miller, who is an international best-selling author, speaker, educator, pioneer. She's a professional coach, a media personality. I call her a celebrity, uh-huh. an elite-level athlete with a black belt in hapkido, and wait for it wait for it, podcast centers around. She's also a top-ranked master's swimmer. So Caroline is the author of her sixth book, which is Breaking Sales Records, and that book is entitled Getting Grit. But before we bring Caroline in, a little background on Caroline.
2: Yes, Caroline is one of the world's leading experts on the science behind successful goal setting and the use of good grit to achieve hard things. For more than 30 years, she's been sharing her research-backed, actionable strategies to help people cultivate more grit and dig deeper to clarify and achieve their toughest goals. Caroline's work has been featured in hundreds of magazines, newspapers, and media around the world, including BBC World News, the New New York Times, Washington Post, NBC, NPR, CNN, and more. She was the first positive psychology expert to bring coaching and happiness to satellite radio via XM with her positive tip of the day.
1: Yes. Yes. Maria, we are lucky to have her. Uh, Well, Caroline shot to celebrity status in 1988 when her book, My Name is Caroline, came out. And in this book, she was the first author to really openly discuss eating disorders and the fact that she struggled herself with bulimia during her days as a Harvard student and a varsity college swimmer. She continued to write prolifically after that first book, and she became a sought-after speaker. She delivered a TEDx talk entitled The Moments That Make Champions. Caroline has a master's degree of applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, graduated magna cum laude from Harvard, and teaches at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton Business School's Executive Education Program. With this introduction, believe it or not, we have only hit the highlights of her amazing accomplishments. But I think we should stop here and not waste any more of our time and get right to meeting this great woman. Caroline, welcome to
3: Champions Mojo. (laughs) Hi, ladies. First of all, as I think you know, you are both completely elite athletes. Maria, you are extraordinary in all of your honors in you know, racing across America and your 24-hour road record. And I am far from elite in swimming, but boy, is Kelly up there. I'm not sure she's ever occupied a position far below number one in master's swimming. And she was also um, one of the top distance swimmers in, our, in the country when we were approaching that, that iconic 1980 boycott of the, uh, the Olympics. So I am good enough. I am not Elite, but thank you for that. And I'm honored that you even want to include what I have to say on your podcast. So thank you for having me.
1: Caroline, you are so modest. You may not have occupied the number one spot in master swimming, but you've had a lot of top 10 rankings, which is quite an accomplishment. And you swam on the Harvard varsity team. So I give you a lot of credit. But what I remember from our childhood days of being swim team members together at the Northern Virginia Aquatic Club, which Later was the Northern Virginia fun and fitness. Boy, that was fun. Um, One, you were a really hard worker and consistently came to practice with a good attitude. And two, you were kind and not one of those mean girls and those mean girls that took that competition to an extreme level. I guess that's why we've been friends for 30 years. So did you guys ever compete
3: against one another? I I have to say something because I don't want to forget it. Maria, you raise a point that is really one of the most important points I want to make about grit. And I can't believe I'm segueing to this so quickly, but it's so uh, relevant to what you brought up. Yes, Kelly and I have been friends for multiple decades. She's one of my oldest, best friends. No question about it. And we did compete against each other. And, you know, we both wanted to win, obviously. But what this reminds me of is real champions with grit, they like to compete um, and they don't want to lose, but they often want to just become their best selves relative to who they can be, not always just on top of other people. And there's something I talk about in all my, you know, talks where I talk to companies all over the world, and it's the Shalane Flanagan effect. And what I love about Shalane Flanagan's win in the New York City Marathon two years ago when she became the first American woman in 40 years to win, is she was the first distance female runner to not train in a silo alone, trying to become her best self alone, because that's how we, Burned out legions of female athletes in this country. Instead, she invited her competitors to come train with her in Oregon, people she wanted to be. And she became this amazing woman who, when other women wanted to quit, they had a bad race, whatever, she would nurse them back to health. She would talk them into staying in the sport. And what's so remarkable about about Shalane Flanagan, and I get goosebumps when I say this, is that every single woman and competitor who came to train with her in Oregon has now made the Olympic team, done their best times. This has never happened. A training group where people who wanted to beat each other all competed and became their best selves because they supported each other. And that's remarkable. And that's what friends do for each other.
2: Love that. Love what Shalane Flanagan did. And the results are remarkable.
1: That reminds me of motivational speaker Zig Ziglar, who says, you will get what you want in life if you give enough people what they want. Now, Caroline, can you dig into GRID a bit more for us?
3: grant you know, really hit the map about 10 years ago with Angela Duckworth's work at the University of Pennsylvania, where I got this master's degree in happiness, positive psychology. She was doing this work on what what is it that makes people elite, not just excellent, elite. And then why do people who have sometimes more resources, more talent, why do that they not become elite where other people do? What's that secret sauce, that X factor? So um, she isolated the qualities and uh, that she felt were most important she did something called the grit scale and it's now become the predictor of who drops out at west point who uh, finishes teach for america the you know both years um, who makes special forces teams who finishes high school in challenging circumstances so grit is this quality that she defined as passion and perseverance in pursuit of long-term goals. And so um, I studied with her, she's my friend. I mean, her support for my book is on the cover of my book but I'm a little bit different in how I approach grit because I work with people Um, and she does research. So my people work helped me to observe that not all grit is good. And so if you take that standard definition it takes about three seconds to realize that there are people like Adolf Hitler who fit the definition for grit. So what do you do about that? How do you kind of parse out what's good grit and bad grit? So that was, that is my real contribution to this field is good grit and bad grit. And so I believe that good grit is what I call authentic grit. And what it is, is it's still passionate pursuit of hard goals. So there's still the passion. You have to be lit up from within or you won't hang in there through the hard times. You have to pursue very hard goals that are outside of your comfort zone. Um, and you have to you know take risks to do it, to become your best self. But where I differ is I really believe that the person who's exhibiting authentic grit has the capacity to awe and inspire other people almost wordlessly. By what they're doing and how they are doing it. And I think you both have done that for others, the two of you, Maria and Kelly, because I know Maria through Kelly and I've known Kelly for decades. And I know that your work ethic, the way you approach the things that are hard, make other people ask themselves, you know, what if I live like that? What if I took those kinds of risks? What if I, you know, went for a moonshot? So that's, that's, For me, that's grit, and we can talk about good and bad grit later, but I really do believe grit has to have the capacity to awe and inspire other people, because if we're just about one person at a time becoming gritty, there isn't a collective benefit that makes society better, and I think that has to be part and parcel of what we talk about when we talk about grit. As athletes, women are often
2: competitive and may have a hard time supporting each other. What advice do you have for us, Caroline?
3: That is, a, that is a wonderful question because it puts it immediately into context. How do I spot people um, who are active, constructive responders and also how can I be better at this? Because I think we can all yeah, brush up on our skills for, because I think women are not often culturally taught that um, you can have two princesses in the same room. And that's why Disney, when they're you know putting animations out and drawings and the cover of DVDs, they always have princesses looking in the opposite directions. It's called the Disney rule, because they put forth this idea subliminally that you can't have two princesses in the same environment. They have to look in different directions. So I think we get this message very, very young. Um, but after a bike race, let's say, Maria, you've won, um, and somebody's a close second, I think one of the things you would see is that other person, the second place finisher, saying, Wow, you were magnificent. How did you keep going, you know, during that uphill stretch there? What did you do? What did you tell yourself? so that you didn't quit? Um, did you train differently? Did you eat something during the race that you know maybe I wouldn't know about? But it would be marked with curiosity and enthusiasm. And when you see that, that's somebody who should be in your inner circle. That's somebody you would want to use a Japanese word, mawai, um, someone in your mastermind group, your closest circle of um, female friends. And every woman needs to have a mawai a circle of women who carve and sculpt them, the Mark- Michelangelo effect, with praise, with enthusiasm. And the problem is too often women surround themselves with frenemies. And that's really good research, that many, many women tolerate passive aggressive behavior, you know, even passive, I mean, um, active destructive behavior, because they don't want anyone to ever think they're not nice. And so women kneecap themselves when they don't recognize who should be in their inner circle and and also when they don't know how to behave when other people have bested them as well.
1: So how can we be more supportive of others, male or female?
3: Right. So that was what I was just explaining. It's called Active Constructive Responding, and it's Shelley Gable's research from the University um, UCLA. And what she found is that when friends respond to another friend's good news or success with curiosity and enthusiasm, that's called Active Constructive Responding. And that's the one and only right way to respond to someone else's good news that sets you apart as a friend, as somebody who will have the Shalane Flanagan effect on you. So you want to be around people who have that kind of curious, enthusiastic, tell me more, how did this happen? And then they turn around and tell somebody else about your good news. And it would be, you know, if you announce your podcast to other people and you say, gosh, I just started this podcast, it's new. I want, you now I want to have you on it or, you know, I'm really excited about this new chapter in my life. If people did not respond with curiosity and enthusiasm, that tells you something really important about them. I think one thing that women do very often, which is as damaging as outright criticism, is they go silent. They go silent in the face of another woman's win or success. And from everything I can gather as I look at research, and I've been doing this you know, relentlessly for the past few years, um, I find that women don't know how to respond to other women's good news because they've been taught that you can only have one princess in a room. One woman at a seat, uh, you know, at a table of power. And when we believe that and when we continue to behave in ways, not everybody, of course, but many people, when we behave that way, we hold ourselves and other women back from becoming champions in their own lives at the goals that are important to them. And I think it's important for us all to hold up a mirror to ourselves and say, what do I do when I hear somebody else got something I wanted? How do I respond? So what kind of friend am I? And I think that helps to create champions. Caroline, I know you
1: are a champion in your own life by overcoming some huge challenges. Can you tell us about your challenges?
3: Um, well, that's a, a big question, Kelly, and I appreciate you even asking. I think um, I've had two major challenges in my life, um, and you you know a lot about both of them. Uh, the first one, I think the one that defined me as an adult, is I overcame bulimia in the early 1980s, um, literally by clawing my way back to life after struggling with it for close to eight years in silence, alone, without any outward signs that anybody spotted. Um, and I didn't want to die, and yet Back in the 1980s, if we can all go back that far, nobody lived through it. People died. Karen Carpenter died, and I didn't want to die. I was a 22 year old married, magna cum laude graduate of Harvard University who wanted to die at times because I didn't know how to beat this thing. And it was so, you know, such an epidemic in swimming. And I think it, it's still seen as an epidemic in sports where your body is, is either uncovered or on display. So I, I clawed my way back to life. I really did. And then I wrote the first book by anybody who overcame bulimia and lived to tell that story. And, and that book, My Name is Caroline, came out in 1988. And it literally blew my world up you know, and out. And I'm still feeling the reverberations because I didn't expect what would happen as a result of being so public. I never thought about it as an honest kind of scary thing to do. I thought, if I don't tell this story, other people won't have hope and I have to give people hope because that's all I ever wanted. And so the biggest takeaway lesson for me was that even with all these academic awards or external things that I had earned, um, none of those things involved grit. They really didn't. The thing that involved grit, the thing that taught me that you can cultivate grit, you know, one behavior at a time, one habit at a time, one day at a time, Is by overcoming this eating disorder. And to this day, the age of 57, that's probably the thing I am proudest of because it's the touchstone for everything else I've ever tackled in life. Because we find that gritty people, when they set big, hard goals outside of their comfort zone and they achieve them, they don't sit on their laurels. They go out and set harder goals. And that's how they get to peaks of excellence. And the other thing that I've had to overcome that I only recently became fairly public about, because again, I think people have to have hope, is I was born into a family with a borderline mother who just never loved me. And that was the, the thing that my father told me on his deathbed is he just said, "You know, your mother never loved you, I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 you know, I wish I had protected you. And that to me was the second biggest thing I had to overcome because when you don't have a soft place to fall, when you don't have that kind of love that is the bedrock and the springboard to get back on your feet, you have to create it yourself, and so I created a circle of, you know, friends and older women who gave me what I couldn't have at home, because she was competitive with me. She was cruel. I didn't have what you were born with, Kelly, and we've had many discussions about that. Um, and I'm sorry that you you recently had that loss, but. Um, being able to be public about that is probably the thing i most you know was most ashamed of and you have to have a certain amount of grit to realize that not everybody has what we take for granted and you can still go out and find people and resources who can help you be more resilient and that is what i had to do to just get through life period Caroline, it looks like maybe
2: you didn't have a choice between passion and perseverance and, and dying from an eating disorder. Do people who exhibit grit really have a choice?
3: Yeah, you do, because and that's why eating disorders have the highest mortality rates of all psychiatric illnesses. A lot of people choose not to fight. Um, one way or another it becomes their death sentence and and their way of ending whatever it is they they don't like about their lives and i did have a choice i could fight it or i could succumb to it and i think for too many years i'd succumb to the urges to go on binges because i didn't have what it took to fight against them um and so it's interesting that you would say you don't have a choice people who are passionate about goals that are important to them and and not necessarily other people often feel like they don't have that choice and i think when i think about some of the things that you've done on the bicycle and i know some of what you did in riding was to honor your sister is i would i would think you said to yourself you know i don't have a choice i have to go do this but a lot of people wouldn't have made that choice maria so it becomes an completely internal choice about what you're passionate about and what you know you'll regret not doing if you don't at least take that risk and see what you're made of
1: Can you teach people how to get grit?
3: Oh, gosh, that's that's one of the reasons why I wrote Getting Grit is because I had to fight through this perception that I think a lot of people have. And that is that you're born gritty. You're born Katie Ledecky. You're born to be an Olympian. And there's nothing you can do to approach those kinds of heights, and that's not so. I think what I discovered as I did the research and wrote Getting Grit is that about half of your ability to be gritty is hardwired, and that would be the self-regulation, the patience, um, the optimism. But you can learn other behaviors. You can even learn to become more optimistic. That would be Marty Seligman's work, you know, uh, Learned Optimism. Um, And one of the things I would say is you first have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And we're having this conversation today, a week after this, this college cheating scandal where these lawnmower parents decided to just mow all adversity out of their children's lives so that they could get this achievement that they didn't work for. Again, faux grit, fake grit. They didn't accomplish it, but they want the world to think they did. I think you have to decide that life can be hard but that you are, you have what it takes to sit with the discomfort and the adversity, and live to see another day. And you have to make that shift in your mind; otherwise, you're always going to seek the easier, you know, more comfortable path. And if you do that, you'll never find out that you too can become gritty.
2: So, how can our listeners become grittier?
3: That's a, that's a great question. So, um, you know, in order to have grit, you have to have passion. You have to have passion for something. And it doesn't have to be someone else's goal. It just has to be something that's meaningful to you. And one of my favorite questions to people who, who are coaching clients or I'm just in workshops with is, "What will you regret not pursuing or trying if you're looking back on your life in 30 years and you're kind of uh, taking stock of who you are? You have to ask yourself that because that's where the essence of gritty goals comes from: is the desire to do something you're not sure you can do, but you know you will nurse regrets and what ifs you know that toxic rearview mirror look at life which so many people in middle age succumb to is coulda woulda shut it so so that would be the first question the second part would be you ask yourself what have i persisted at before what have i demonstrated that would give me the courage or the kernel of behavior that um I can use to accomplish this other thing. And when people unpack previous success, they often find they're very similar steps involved. One is they have accountability to somebody to do some initial hard work. Um, another is that they're willing to sit with discomfort. You know, They don't give up at the first sign of failure. Um, and another is that they're not followers. You know, They almost have a whistleblower's personality. They're comfortable being in the out group with their goal. Um, Outgroup in air quotes because they don't need other people's approval to pursue that goal. They know that the only person it really matters to is them, and that's why when people ask me the question, "Are gritty people gritty in everything?" the answer is no, because when you're gritty in everything, you are you know gritty. You're not gritty in the one thing that matters because you're frittering away all your emotional and physical energy on everything instead of focusing on where your passion is. So you have to find your lane and stick stick with it through thick and thin, through dark, through light, and make sure you have the friends around you who become the soft place to fall because you'll have to get back on your feet. What
1: can you tell parents out there wanting to make their kids more gritty?
3: Well, I think the first thing parents need to do is ask themselves, what are they role modeling for their children? Because it can't be, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I think a remarkable number of people In fact, all of the people I interviewed who had the right kind of grit could point to extended family members or family members who had role modeled that behavior for them. So you have to ask yourself, what am I showing my children around having a passion, working for something, you know, failing and still getting back up to fight, you know, another fight? So what am I doing? The second is, do I let my children... You know feel pain at times without me swooping in to fix it because kids don't always have a passion at first they have to go through you know the tough stuff around um, learning scales before they can actually play the piano well so they may not feel passionate first but they can have interests let your children pursue interests without interfering or telling them like tiger mothers what you should do um, and so that would be what i would say is don't let them be quitters Um, Role-model the right kind of behavior and then celebrate with them when they do things that are important to them Be an active constructive responder about what it is that they find energizing zestful and empowering Because they're unique individuals. I think parents don't find this out Sometimes until it's too late But you have to be sure that you separate from them and let them find their own uh, Joy in life and that's why this college cheating thing is just so tragic because I can't imagine how those young adults who are in college, whose parents cheated their way in, how are they gonna live with themselves for the rest of their lives, knowing either their parents didn't believe in their capacity to do hard work, or that there's some fundamental belief that you have to take one path, one college in order to be happy and successful in life. That's gonna be a very tough thing for for them to unlearn in light of the fact that the world is watching them now. Caroline, I've noticed that you are really
2: honest and model authenticity, do honesty and
3: authenticity have a role in grit? That's a really perceptive question. I'm not sure I've ever been asked that in that, that particular way. What I will say is that when other people know that you've struggled and failed and yet gotten up and found meaning in your life and purpose and even you know renewed strength because you find out what you're made of, other people begin to relate in and they have hope that they too can do the same thing, maybe not the exact same goal or whatever. But when you admit to vulnerabilities, which is something Brene Brown talks a lot about, you know, vulnerability is the inverse relationship to strength. Being able to admit it allows other people to say, I can feel weak and scared too. I can fail too, but it doesn't have to keep me down. And I think that kind of honesty does allow other people to then be honest with themselves. And I think that's what you're getting at.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely beautiful. And Caroline, you've always role modeled authenticity. And, and your term authentic grit is, if I'm not wrong, that's kind of unique to you,
3: isn't it? It, it is. And, and it's an umbrella term for good grit. And I have branches of good grit. Mount I've worked this out with you and Mark in your house a few years ago when I was writing and I'd come upstairs and go, what do you guys think of Mount Rushmore grit? But, you know, Mount Rushmore grit are the people who change history. Um, The people who history changed because they had the right kind of grit that allowed them to fight against the worst of society or or mankind and they did it with so much dignity and self regulation um, and kindness that they developed followers, I think Gandhi, I think Martin Luther King, you know, people. The history changed because of the grit they exhibited. Those are people who change history. Then there's the Mount Olympus grit, the people who push their bodies. You know, Alex Hanold who scaled uh, El Capitan at Yosemite without ropes. You know, these are the people who show us how far our bodies can go. Um, and then there's celebrity grit. There's the JK Rowling, Dick Van Dyke, you know, people who are in the public eye Um, for one reason or another, but because of how they handle the celebrity and the good work they do as a result of that gift that they have, which is they have a platform, because of how they role model dignity, kindness, giving to others, they have the ability to impact other people who can then go cultivate the kind of grit. And then there's, um, you know, ordinary grit, you and me and other people who might just be doing something extraordinary in our lives, may not be extraordinary to somebody else, but we're doing something that's so meaningful to us without complaining, without expecting a trophy or a raise at the end of the day, um, just doing, you know, extraordinary things in our own ordinary lives because they make our lives more fulfilling and, and more worth living. Caroline, I can't have you on the show and not ask you what advice you would give to someone with an eating disorder. Oh, Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think the internet is available now and I think that is a real gift because it can connect people who are feeling isolated and alone and connect them to chat groups and resources that didn't exist back in the 1980s. So reach out, get some education, but then tell one other person who is curious and enthusiastic, who will sit with you, who won't judge you um, and who may go with you to your first Overeaters Anonymous meeting or your first therapy appointment, but somebody um, you trust and you have reason to trust them. So don't do it alone. You know, there's a saying in 12-step programs, the problem shared is the problem half solved. And I'm living proof of that because I wouldn't be alive if I hadn't stumbled into a 12-step meeting in, in 1984 and heard another woman who looked remarkably like me stand up and say, This sentence, you know, my name is Betsy and I'm recovering from bulimia one day at a time. This woman unselfishly giving up her story, not because she was gonna get anything, but because you hear often, you can't keep what you don't give away. If I hadn't been there and she hadn't been willing to offer her story, I wouldn't be alive. And so if you reach out and connect to other people and then turn around and pull someone else with you, life just keeps getting better. Caroline,
2: we're so glad you are alive and making so many lives better. I have to ask,
3: is there anything wrong with using grit just because you like to win? Wow. Another question I've never um, been asked. Um, I think for some people, winning at all costs can lead to faux grit and taking shortcuts. So you don't want to go to the dark side of competing to win. Uh, My great uncles went one, two in the 1912 Olympics. So I certainly know they didn't get medals in 1908, which is why they persisted. And they went one, two in the 1912 Olympics, first siblings to go one, two uh, in any event in the Olympics. And so I grew up with that in my DNA, which is winning is pretty good, but you don't want to be a winner at, you know, at any cost to yourself and others. And I think that's where I talked about the need to have a certain amount of humility and perspective on your life, is it making you a better human being or not? And can you become comfortable with just being the best you can be whether or not you win? And the way I cured myself partly of that is I became a rower in my late forties instead of just being a swimmer or a martial artist or whatever, and I was in a boat that was terrible with people in their sixties and seventies and eighties. Our goal was to not be passed by the first heat of the next race. And I had so much fun being bad at something for a while that it really showed me the power of camaraderie and just doing something because it's fun and you love it. And I think that was a seminal experience for me. So if you don't get enough of those experiences, you don't have the balance for the importance of winning and what it can mean to also be a loser and yet win in the the process of being a loser. Caroline, obviously
2: you've done a lot of winning and Kelly and I have been fortunate in that regard too. We often get approached by people that are seeking some mojo from us as winners. What do you recommend for us to say? And what do you say, for example, when a young writer might approach you wanting to know how to produce
3: a best-selling book? Um, that is perfect because I do get asked that a lot, and. Um, I am thrilled to share my agent's name, any tips on writing that I have. I've done this hundreds of times since my first book came out in 1988, because I do know that the thing that saved my life was that woman, Betsy, saying, I'm, I'm recovering from bulimia one day at a time. That showed me what happiness is all about. It's about giving other people hope. And so I think all you have to do is meet people where they are, be curious and say to yourself, how can I give them hope? that this thing that's eluding them um, or that they want to feel in their life, I can help them get a little bit closer to that. That is true joy. Um, And so if you don't feel that in your answers, I would ask yourself, well, what can I do to be more curious to find out how I can give them hope? Because that's all people want. They don't always want a handout. They want hope. You have given me so much hope and your,
1: your book creating your best life too is just a tool that I use so much in creating my best life. And I've seen you do that a million times, just be curious and enthusiastic with people because you are, you know, an elite in your field. And and I've seen people come up to you as your friend of many, many years and say things to you and see you as this celebrity. And you always give them hope and you take the time to give them a connection or give them a resource. And you're just, it's, it's, um, it's just who you are. And and I'm, it's been, it's been fun to watch it for all these years and it's certainly impacted my life to, to give me a great life. So, um, thank you for that. And I do have one last question for you. Yes, it is.
3: What legacy would you like to leave? Oh, I would like to leave a legacy that, um, I gave people hope that they could do hard things, harder than they think they can do. They can take the hill that they've never taken before. And then I helped to unselfishly give them the tools that could make them become the best they can be in their own lives.
2: Caroline, thank you so much for today. It's been fantastic.
3: Caroline, thank you so much
1: for joining us today. I am sure that our listeners will get a lot out of this
3: interview. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I look forward to doing this again, because I know we just touched on the surface of some of the topics you're interested in. And um, Godspeed in this new endeavor that's exciting and new for both of you, because uh, there'll be bumps along the way, and um, you're going to learn a lot from doing it. So thank you for letting me be part of that journey. What an illuminating interview. Unfortunately, we could not
1: spend more time with Caroline, and we had to get her back to her busy schedule. But stay tuned. After our quote of the week on grit, Maria and I will trade a couple of quick stories on grit.
0: Now it's time for the quote of the week. This one from our guest, Caroline Adams Miller. People with grit are renowned for setting hard, some would say unrealistic goals. Because people with grit don't go for easy, low-hanging fruit and have to work persistently for a long time to see success, their pursuit of tough goals and often their success in achieving them is what inspires other people to step out of their comfort zone too.
1: Well, Maria, now that we know the full details of grit, I have no doubt that you have grit, and I would love to hear one of your stories of grit.
2: Thanks, Kelly. I I um, have thought a lot about grit since I first met Caroline Adams-Miller when she was writing her book, and uh, I was particularly interested in you know when when grit kind of goes bad, and we talked about that a lot. Um, but I I I just came back this weekend from um, a really tough bicycle race, and I do all of my athletic events involve grit because they're endurance event, events. And I was thinking, okay, well, what what's a good story of grit for me? And this is why I asked Caroline Adams Miller this question. Like when I commit to something, I don't really feel like I have a choice where I can. Back out. So on this week, this weekend, we were doing a 214 mile bicycle race, and it turned out to be much, much tougher than we thought it was and, and going to be. What <laughs> the description was really, oh, you're going to cycle through beautiful rolling hills and wildflowers. It sounded like a picnic, but when we got into it, there was just a ton of climbing. And the particularly difficult part for me is that the roads were extremely rough, and we had wheels that were not really set up for rough roads. They were. They had a lot of pressure. They were small tires. And so they weren't cushioning the bumps in Texas at all. And there was, there was one road that I turned onto, and this is where I I feel like I displayed grit. It was in the very end of the race, maybe 20 miles from the end. It's a 250, 214 mile race. And I turned onto this road that I was really looking forward to because it was a very quiet road. It's called bump gate road and I should have known the bump should have given it away. <laughs> but, so it was it maybe it was eight miles, maybe 10. It felt like 14 hours. It was the worst road I have ever been on. I'm sure if you were on it in a car, you would have said, this is a terrible road. And a bike, it was like a vomit comet. I, you know, and it was it was Ups and downs, short, steep ups and downs, and just these tremendous, huge bike eating holes. And so I had this sort of mixture of, of fear and discomfort, but I, I was that close to the end. There was, there was, there was no place to go. I I had to, I had to finish it. And and I think where I, I felt like I was, I was being gritty was particularly on the descents because usually on a descent you can just relax and you can let it go. And these descents were just filled with these enormous holes. And I was, I was very fearful to go too fast because I, I was afraid I'd fall when I hit a hole or something. So I, I would, I would climb these super hard hills and then go down, boom, 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 down this hill, riding my brakes the whole way. Um. So, I, but I, I just told myself, well, the only way out is through. So you just got to, you just got to get through this. But I think It was, it was maybe eight or 10 miles, but it felt like three hours. That was my story of grit for this week. And Kelly, I know you have tons of grit stories too, because you're also an endurance swimmer. So do you have a story you can tell?
1: Well, thanks Maria. But before we move off of that, I, I, I love Caroline's part of passion. Well, it's Angela Duckworth did the research on passionate and perseverance are the two components of grit. And then Caroline really connects them to people. Um, And our activities that we do. So when you're on that bike, and you're doing these endurance races, and you're boom, boom, boom down these hills. What is that passion behind you that's driving you to to do these, these races? I
2: think that's a really great question. And for me, I'm, there's, there are lots of layers. (laughs) And I was trying to get at that with my question for Caroline, like part of me just wants to win, right? I just want to be a winner. I guess that's hubris or pride. So, um, but I'm also always, when I cycle, I cycle to raise awareness and money for brain cancer research. So when I'm really hurting and really, really uncomfortable, I think a lot about people who are suffering with brain cancer. It's not that they're uncomfortable, but they're, they're, a lot of the times they're not but they're just they they have this disease that's killing them and so I think to myself well you know nothing's harder than brain cancer and so that's that's sort of my passion um you know that there's the good passion which I think is sort of the altruistic passion is like I'm going to do this I'm going to suffer in place of these other people and then there's the sort of less altruistic or hubristic p- passion which is I want to I want to finish this thing first I want to if I'm going to suffer like this, I at least want to get a nice first place medal out of it.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's such a great answer. And that was what I was kind of looking for. I think, I think that's Mount Rushmore grit as Caroline would call that. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the sacrificial grit of, of leading and thinking about those people with brain cancer. And, um, yeah, that's a great, great answer. So I do have stories of grit. Thank you for asking me. And I've really thought about grit recently. And obviously I have a tremendous passion and perseverance for swimming. So I have tons of endurance swimming stories I could tell, but on this particular day, I'm drawn to a recent passion and perseverance of my own dear mother going through Alzheimer's and the passion and perseverance of taking care of a loved one touches so many in so many ways. And I, I thought my passion is for my family. It's for loving my mother and my father and my brothers. And, you know, here is this amazing woman who physically fit, could, garden the heck out of your own son Maria who would come and spend a couple of weeks every summer and beautiful Will would say, Grammy worked me into the ground. And you know, she could work in the yard for eight hours nonstop. And and Will, who was a is a strapping young man, would be like, I need a break. So um she was just so physically healthy and so vibrant. And then about four years ago she just started to decline tremendously and go downhill and um lose her words and her ability to turn on the shower or run the dishwasher or the washer dryer or the microwave and so um my perseverance has been you know i she was living in virginia i'm living in florida out of the last two years of her life which she she died last spring of this disease alzheimer's um my wonderful husband and I would spend, we, I lived with my mom and dad for six months in their guest room and um, trout, my husband, you know, would travel back and forth to see us at times. But my particular story of kind of persisting and, and the perseverance was I did not know that this was within the two weeks of when uh, my mom was going to be put into a, a full-time facility where she's locked down. So she's in her house and I'm living there in Virginia to, to help take care of her. And it was a, you know, a day, it was a beautiful sunny spring day cold, but I knew I need to get her out. I want to, so I show up, she's not dressed. I have to get her dressed. I'm starting to feel just very frustrated with her. She hadn't made her coffee because she'd forgotten how to do it and she'd spilled the grounds everywhere. So it was just, you know, I didn't have my own kids. So, um, you know, I was a career woman. So this was like, I guess my, my baptism by fire and taking care of someone. So I help her get dressed. I get her a cup of coffee. We get out into the beautiful world. She says, I'm hungry. So we drive through Chick-fil-A, we get a, um, a little lunch there. And then we go to the park and we go to the park and We sit and watch, we go to the James River and we watch the river flowing beautifully. And it was really cold and we were both really cold and we just had such a great day together. And on the way back, she was kind of unsteady and we, you know, I held her arm and I walked her to the car and put her in and on the way home, she said, I'm cold and I would love a cup of coffee. And so. From there, I was trying to give my dad a little bit of a break and keep her out of the house all day. And um, we went to Starbucks and we had a Starbucks coffee. And, you know, I am personally, I'm an anti-sugar eater and I don't eat sugar, but I know, of course, my mom loves sugar. So I go to get our two cups of coffee and then I look in the window and I see one of those cake pops. And I know those things are like, I don't know, probably a hundred grams of sugar in one of those things. And we get in the car with our coffees and we're going to drive home and drink our coffees. And I have this little surprise in the bag and I pull out this cake pop and I give it to her. And I don't, I've never had a four-year-old, but the joy on her face and the happiness and the response of, Oh honey, thank you. Oh yum. That is so good. Oh, that's amazing. And um, it was just, she was just so, joy-like and joyful. And it was such a joyful moment. And I have the picture that I took of her on the James river that day. And I have that as my screensaver on my phone. And I just, I just know that a lot of people do gritty things when they take care of their family and it's tough. And, um, that's been my grit recently.
2: That's beautiful. And I, and I watched that from, not from sort of afar and Kelly, you made you made it sound easier than it was in that story. Um, it, it was, it was beautiful to watch you go through the hard times because mom was also being, she was being really hard on you and, and, uh, at times, and you you were patient with her, and you and you did persevere, even when it was you were away from your business and you were away from your husband a lot, and you were pretty much doing it single handedly. <laughs> so it was it was a true example of of perseverance and passion. Um, and I, you come by it honestly because your mom was one of the most passionate and also persevering people I ever knew. So. Um, but I think this is kind of what I was getting at with Caroline earlier. Sometimes when you're in that, like, what choice did you have? You loved your mom. you were gonna take care of her. I guess you could have made the choice to put her in a, you know someplace, you know, put her away earlier or whatever, but you didn't. you 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 just got in there and you and you did what had to be done, and it was really
1: beautiful to watch. Well, thanks, Maria. and i i I definitely you know, had the bumps in the road. And one of the things, some Alzheimer's patients are kind and sweet and soft. And as we know, my mom was the opposite. So that's why that day was so special to me that she was really kind of sweet and docile that day. But there were, there were definitely many days where she was, as I say, swinging her cane at me and, and screaming at me for, you know, nothing through, you know, for walking through the door. So, um, yeah. It, but that, and I think that's, that is good to illustrate that because that's why it was so tough because, you know, I was so close with her and, um, but I, I, I know that you have to have that, but I think you do have a choice. Like Karen's Caroline said, you always have a choice because you can, and at some point you, you do have to make the choice for your whole family. You know, like if I had been a mother of four, then I wouldn't have had that choice. I would have had to prioritize my own kids. And that's what, you know, you're married to my brother and he has, you know, how many grandkids do you guys have now? Because you just had one and you got one on the way too. So what do you have total? Oh, we have five. Five and one to come. So, you know, you and Jim were taking care of your, your kids and your grandkids and same with, you know, my other brothers or so, you know, But I had that opportunity and I'm grateful that I did. And I, I think that's just a, you know, that is a good question. What, you know, what, is it a choice? I think, I think it's always a choice. Um, As Caroline said, she could have died, but, um, and I could have not had those times with my mom, but I chose to have them. So, um, well, anyway, I didn't mean to get crying there. I'm sorry about that, but um, I, unless you have something else on grit, Maria, I think we've, we've got a really good interview with Caroline that I hope our listeners are going to get a lot out of.
2: I, I love, I love talking about grit because it, it, it is, I, I love that Caroline and, and Angela Duckworth have really helped us to understand it. And it, it is something that you can get better at.
1: All right. So Thank you, Maria. I think that is going to wrap up our show on Getting Grit. Thanks, Kelly. I loved it. Me too. We are so grateful that you spent time with us today, and we hope that you heard something that inspired, motivated, and educated you. As usual, for the copy of the show notes, for any links or important information referenced here, see below. Signing off for myself and my champion co-host, Maria Parker, we hope you'll join us again soon. And we know you can be a champion. Thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also visit championsmojo.com to learn more.